0: The following content contains explicit language. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello, Internet. This is Chase Retcher King-Wassonar. I am the Editor-in-Chief and Analyst for Imperial Esports. And welcome to a very special edition of the Rough Drafts podcast. It has been too long since I have had the guest who is here today on the show. It is Stephen Nugan Wynn. He is a writer for Esports Heaven. He worked with me on Paravine back in the day, a guy I consider to be a good friend. Stephen, how are you doing, man? Pretty good. Not, can't complain. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. I, I'm i settled in the game house now. I'm getting to watch more games because now it, you know I'm running picks and bans and things, so I really need to you know watch the power regions as much as I can. And North America, to me, has been a pleasant surprise, mostly. There are some teams that we're going to get to that I think have been a little bit disappointing, that I think have certainly had a lot of ups and downs. But overall, I've found this to be a pretty... Entertaining split, where do you come down on where North America is now for you like what what are your first thoughts when you think about the scene as a whole as it stands today
1: uh my first impressions I mean like, they look better as as a whole like if you just look at the standings, you would say it would look better, but for me, since i've kind of been watching since season one mm-hmm. I e don 't think it means anything until I would like to see these twelve teams in the server split when we have best of threes. Mm -hmm. Because right now, best of ones aren't telling me much other than like habitual things that the teams and players do.
0: Yeah, I think that's something that we've known for a while, right? That best of ones are an inferior format as a general rule. Sample size is obviously something that every statistician would point out. The more you have, the more accurate our information is. But Mm -hmm. there are patterns. And one of the patterns that has made itself very clear since the beginning of the season is... This Immortals team seems to have a very good control over the rest of the league. They had their first loss this week. It was a very tough fought loss against CLG. But otherwise, this has been a team that surprised some people that maybe had thought that Poebelter and Wild Turtle weren't going to return the form, that you know, Hooney and Rainover had some exploitable weaknesses. So my question to you, Stephen, is do you think that this Immortals team is as good as the hype around them would lead you to believe? Or are there more flaws that are potentially going to get exposed as we start getting closer to the playoffs and we see some best-of-five series?
1: If there are flaws to be exposed, they won't be exposed until the next split, in my opinion. Hmm. Because right now, I think, yes, I think Immortals is very strong right now, but I don't think that the rest of the team's are, let's say, fleshed out enough to be able to take advantage of any of these weaknesses as of yet. Yeah. Like, when you look at the other teams in NA, like, they are messy. They're all over the place. They're not finding their stride yet. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the Immortals, kind of, I, they clicked from the beginning, right? Like, I mean, I've heard some stuff, but I won't say all of it. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, when you just look at the Immortals roster, okay, so it's like... All of them were from former teams, and like, so Paul Butter kicked off CLG. Wild Turtle left slash was benched from TSM, and then Hooney Rainover decided to leave as well because like the people were leaving Fnatic anywhere. like they were going mm-hmm. to, and then Adrian left Tip. I mean everyone left Tip. <laughs> so like they had something to prove, whether or not this. Their quality of place will stand when they go against better teams. Maybe if the other teams get stronger in NA by the next split, or if Immortals go to like MSI and then get beat down, don't you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like Fnatic's roster last year. I mean, I mean, I say that not just because Joo and Rayner were there, but because they were mostly undefeated for the first split, fought very well at MSI, got better after that, and mm-hmm. they still had some weaknesses. They were exposed, obviously, but like if those weaknesses don 't get exploited, I think immortals will have a tougher time towards worlds
0: yeah it 's something that I was actually kind of happy that they lost this week to c l g because it proved that there are things that they need to work on that they can improve upon, and this is something that I think teams need to have, especially early in their you know existence as a team. You need to have moments where you have to step back and acknowledge the flaws that are lying underneath the surface, which is hard to do when you're winning because you just want to focus on, you know, how nice things are going and all the praise that guys that, you know, for a long time have had a chip on their shoulder because they haven't been appreciated or they've been, you know, very, you know, in and in a slump. You could say I think calling Wild Turtle's recent performance at TSM a slump is a fair thing to say. Uh, certainly, he's looked like a better player. What? Do you think Immortals, if they're going to take the next step and be a team that can at least have a solid performance at MSI and continue to grow, as you pointed out, this Fnatic team grew in the summer split and beyond, what is the next step for this team to become that kind of threat?
1: Well, I mean, they've already taken a huge step forward in terms of the players in general. Like, well, Turtle, like I wouldn't actually say it was he was on a slump on TSM. I know he performed worse. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't call it a slump, because like when you compare the play from Wild Turtle in Season 3 to Season 4 to Season 5 to Season 6, when he joins TSM, he played then like he does now.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Which is, in your face, flashing forward for kills, like really, really aggressive, stuff like that. And then when he... it was like last year, mostly, and Season 4, kind of. Season 4 and when Season 5 was like, he got punished for it and then was told to play more in the back. Like, he was kind of made to play similar to how Chaos was play, Like, more in the back to have the, more, the mid-laner and the front line do stuff first, you know? hmm But, like, when he plays on the mortals, it's not like he's the first person initiating the fight or anything, but he is more going in the front. Mm-hmm. Because Adrian's backing him up. You know, with champions like Janna and stuff like that, like in Sirocco and stuff like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And Adrian's really, really good at keeping this part alive. Lustboy was more of like a roaming kind of like warding with amazing kind of jungler.
0: Yeah, it does seem like Immortals was built from the ground up as a team with a very particular identity. Adrian is the kind of guy, and, and I said this in the preseason, and yeah, you know, I didn't expect them to be this good, but Adrian and Wild Turtle are almost a match made in heaven because mm-hmm. Wild Turtle loves to go in, Adrian loves to save people that overextended. That was his entire job at impulse. Uh, yeah. And he does it rather well. Uh, Belter is playing the kind of champions that he wasn't always allowed to play at previous organizations because they needed him to be a particular thing. Uh, the Lulu bot era of po Belter's career comes to mind. Mm-hmm. And Huni and Rainover are also being allowed to kind of unleash themselves. So it does feel like Immortals have taken the stance of let our guys play the way that they want to play and coordinate that together. And it's mm-hmm. worked out for the most part very well. Uh, It'll be interesting to see what happens if they face some more adversity down the road. I I think that adversity, as a general rule, is something that can help this team grow. So I'd I'd like to see, at MSI, them really be challenged. But time is going to tell whether any of these teams can step up to the performance that these guys have been showing. And if any team is going to, it looks like CLG might be that team. They grabbed the win over Immortals this week. It seems like they've been improving week after week, just adding little bits to their formula. Steven, when you're watching these games week after week, what are you noticing about how this team has grown from, you know, a team that in week one you could just kind of camp Darshan and win the way that Dignitas did to a team that now has so many different threats and so many nuances to the same formula that's been successful since the beginning?
1: Well, COG growing kind of ties into the question you originally asked about the next step that Immortals takes, mm-hmm. which is losing. And losing to a better team, or a team that's catching up to you, is how better teams stay ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay, for example, when uh, SKT first showed up, they were really good, obviously. Like their debut. Yes, And then they lost to better teams, and then they learned from that. And then they stayed back on top. Not, not including when they went undefeated and then just fell off for the rest of the season. But anyway, to CLG. CLG was kind of weird for me because like you had Darshan who basically suppressed his original, like hyper hyper carry, solo farm whatever into in top lane and do whatever, right? Mm-hmm. He became more of a team player. Aframu is always solid in the very gross season. Six Safe has actually filled a similar role to Doublelift as in he's just being... Mechanically proficient, maybe not as proficient, but he's he's doing the job. Who who he was the problem at the beginning, and who he still has problems mechanically speaking, right? Mm-hmm. He like this weekend alone, he missed more than I don't know how many chains or rockets on quirky. Like he just kind of needs to do his job. But from what I understand of the their their comms, who he is very, very vocal. Mm -hmm. And he's a very, very important part of their comms. And if you just put him in champions like Corky, where you don't necessarily need to do the mechanical outplay of the game or whatever, then he can serve that control tower that many teams have, right? He can serve as the big communication telecom, like central, whatever. I I already said comms tower, but like... And and they're getting better with each with each game, and they, that even shows in um, between CLG and C Nine. Mm-hmm. I honestly believe that CLG deserved a hundred percent, like disregarding any throws people like want to say C Nine or whatever. Mm-hmm. CLG is a better team, in my opinion. They actually are starting to get into the stride, and they've even shown it against Immortals. The mm-hmm. um, they still have some space to go though, because who he is very exploitable. It, it would be very f- interesting and kind of fun to watch international teams dismantle CLG just to see how they would fix it.
0: Yeah, it does seem like who He right now is the biggest question mark. You know, he's a guy that has been forever regarded as a jack-of-all-trades but a master of none. You know, the guy with just a super deep champion pool but never quite had the talent to back it up. And it does seem like they've realized that there is a particular type of champion that even if he's not amazing at it, it serves a purpose. And you add onto that stick, say, a guy who has always been mechanically proficient but is, I think, week by week gained a better game sense, just someone <clears throat> who has now understood when he's pushing too far, understood when he needs to be ready for the next team fight, when the next objective push comes in. I think that's worked out rather well for them. And the one guy we haven't talked about yet who's someone who had a very big impact last week is Xmithie who you know, had the Udyr that went very well and is a guy that just in general seems to have really taken a step forward in terms of his play. Do you think that the improvement we're seeing from him is just being able to better fit in with the system that Zix has been fulfilling for this team? Or do you think there are tangible things we can point to about his play that have allowed him to develop into a better player for what they need?
1: It's hard to say, because, like, the Udyr thing was, like, they kind of let him get big, and if you get, let Udyr get big, he gets big. You, you, what, do you, what do you do against an Udyr who's farmed very well? Like, they could have con- like, teams could have counter-jungled against the Udyr, they could have done things to shut him down, because even when Udyr gets behind, he just doesn't do anything. But from the Udyr game alone, it's hard to say, because, like... Like I said, it's just the, na- the nature of the champion, and then the other teams didn't take the, the proper measures. Mm-hmm. But as Xmithie as a whole, I think ever since um, he had that hilarious moment where he missed the Cizrani Ultimate like, yeah. year and ha- like, like half a year ago, he's become a solid player. Not He's not amazing. He's there. And it's not like he does nothing. He's like the serviceable tool that you have in your tool belt. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's continued to be consistent. But that's the word I'll use. Okay. He is very consistent now in A. And I think he just needs to keep doing as he does. He doesn't need to be a star player because the way CLG has melded their team dynamics ever since, uh, what, last year, mm-hmm. which, has let them, which let them be successful, they're just doing it again. They just have a slightly less proficient mechanical mid laner in and a not-as-star eighty carry, but he could become a star. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, no, I, I think that's absolutely fair. You know, I, I, it says a lot that X Smithy right now has the second-highest KDA amongst junglers in North America. And it's mm-hmm. not because he's getting a ton of kills, because he's not. He has only 22 on the season. That puts him towards the lower end of the pack of junglers that have played the whole season. But what he does is he doesn't die. He doesn't cost the team in a way that maybe he could have cost the team before. He is reliable. He does what you need him to do. And you need pieces like that. You know, there are only so many people that can take resources and there's only so much gold to go around. And when you have someone like Darshan, who just requires so many resources and is this massive split pushing threat, that means the jungler has to put some of his resources aside. And to me, it just shows a growth in Nick Smithy and how he has been able to continue to be that reliable guy even when they don't set him up for that success. He's, he's found that way to play the game that he needs to play in a way that CLG can now rely on, and that's just a, a great foundation from which to start. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to talk about great foundations to start from, the Cloud9 that actually plays high every game is 9 and 3. You know, outside of those two weird losses in the first two weeks cuz they chose not to play, the only guy that seems to know how to shot call, this team has also been a very up and coming team. And as you mentioned before, team, you know, there have been a lot of people that are maybe too critical on Cloud 9 and their performance against CLG, but what have we seen from Cloud 9 that has allowed them to take that rise and have, you know, even balls of all people get an MVP? Uh, over the course of the
1: season, C9 is the most frustrating team for me to fathom right now because mm-hmm. simply because of the high versus bunny thing. And first of all, I'm not going to say anything about like about, bad about bunny, mm-hmm. but it's, it's like they tried to mi- train bunny into being the second, the next high, so the high can finally retire, right. Because Hai's mentioned a, a good amount of times that he just kind of wanted to retire. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was, seemed pretty happy about moving to the management position. Yeah. C9's just lost without him, you know? hmm And what does that say about the team? That means pretty bad things for the rest of the other four players. Mm-hmm. I, I know there's that, like, memes going around, but, like, you know, high basically is, like, playing 1v5. hmm <laughs> with, like, four CPUs or whatever, (laughs) but the fact of the matter is is that C9 has no idea how to operate in any meta without High. Right. And I can say that because we've basically had two whole splits of this. (laughs) I mean, the first split of last year... I'm sorry, the second split of last year and this one. It's pretty safe to say that the four other players on C9 have no idea... How to play this game without him on in comms? Yeah, and does that mean I don't know what that means? I, d- does that mean they don't communicate well in comms without him? Do they? Does that mean they just actually have no idea what they're doing? Does that actually mean that they aren't confident without High? Are they? I don't know. Do they, do they just have their dicks in their hands? I don't actually know. <laughs> like I don't actually know because I don't know what these comms are like, and yeah. I'm not going to say something that I don't know for sure. But I can say for sure that these players have no idea how to win the game competitively without high on their five four mm-hmm. And I don't know, like that—that just—that's just like that to me doesn't make them a good team. I'm like, I know you win as five, yes. So in that sense, you, people can say that, and I wouldn't really get bothered. But like when people tell me that C nine is like, oh, C nine is just really, really, really good. All the players are really good. I'm like no, like to me, this just tells me that high is a good leader. Yeah. And And if Hai can actually take these four players and go nine and three, like, why isn't he in Korea learning Korean to like play with the best teams? Like, like okay, like I don't actually mean that, but Mm -hmm. I don't know what else to say about C nine. Like, they're just the I can't fathom their existence with this record.
0: (laughs) It is so funny, and it it all comes down to to me. Well, you know, and and I've brought this up with uh, Walter a little bit in the past, but it felt like they put in Bunny Fufu too early. Like, if you're trying to groom him to be the next High, you know, give him a couple weeks, you know, let him learn under High, watch how it's done, you know, show him the comms and, and what they need. But it just feels like, especially when you get the little segments that Riot does release in the mic checks, you know, the body these fools mean that has come through from High, if you listen to that clip, like, it is dead silent until he asks, like, Does Gangplank have Flash? Everyone's like, no. It's like, go. And immediately everyone goes, everyone capitalizes in, and they make a great play under a tower. And it's a well-executed tower dive. But no one else seems to have been trained on how to make these calls on their own. It's like Cloud9 just told them, here is the guy. Let that one voice exist and listen to whatever he says no matter what. And that's fine as long as you have that guy, and that guy continues to be very talented and continues to be very invested in the game and and putting everything into it. But as you've pointed out, I don't know how sustainable that is. He, the, he was very happy going to management. At some point, he had serious wrist issues. He was worried about. Like I, you know, I, I'm glad that it's it's working out for them because obviously, you know, the league is more fun when everyone is playing well. But it just does feel like there should be someone here who can step up, but outside, you know, outside of the, the high issue, you know, because there are four other players on this team. As much as it does feel like it's four CPU, sometimes have, have any of them really stood out to you as far as having made you know significant growths in their play since what we saw from them? Well, most of them at Worlds and Rush, just in his time at Impulse.
1: I think Rush has grown. Rush looks better as a player because in in, in impulse they just like, they skirmish and they just like Rush, fuck them up, mm-hmm. and they just like threw like the dog frisbee in the enemy's jungle and he was like All right, I'm gonna go fuck fuck people up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At the very least, I think I can say that with relative confidence that Rush can do more than Chouza. Like when was because in most when they lost games it was most like okay, it was mostly but like a big part of it was like Rush didn't go go crazy in the other game right like they controlled the vision and it's like it's it's one reason why Liquid beat out Impulse mm-hmm. in the the quarterfinals the other players I don't know Jensen's good sure Jen, uh, Sneaky's good sure Balls is there <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the weirdest MVP that we're going to look back on, and we're going to just see like, how did, how was balls the best player of any week, just in general? I, it, it Which week feels was weird to he
1: see MVP again. It was
0: it was week six, so only a week ago. His gangplank in Lulu, man, and it, it does seem funny. I feel like it's a narrative that Riot has tried to push for a while, and you know, I could go on a whole tangent on on narratives that Riot tries to push forward, but. You know, even as other players have advanced on Cloud9, you know, they really try to hype up just what Balls has become, which is a really competent top laner, which is something he was not last split. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, this is, it's something that Cloud9 certainly needed. I think figuring out how to make Rush work within the system was something that in the early parts of the se- uh, season was very difficult. He's obviously a very different type of jungler to the medio style that they've had in the past. You know, it's much more aggressive in the early game where usually they would like to farm up and play around mid-game objectives. So, you know, there was an adjustment period, but it does seem like mostly they figured these things out. There was some sloppiness in the CLG game that showed that when another team has a decisive identity of their own, Cloud9 runs into issues. They don't have yes. this kind of... You know, If they're not able to take advantage of another team's indecision, they can fall off. But they do know how to take advantage of those opportunities, and that will always mean that in a best-of-five scenario, once the playoffs roll around, that will be a threat. That will matter. But now we get into teams that I think are more up and down, and I don't think any team has made me change my opinion of them more often than TSM a team that, when you just looked at the on paper, obviously there were a lot of expectations surrounding this team and it just hasn't lived up to that hype. So Steven, mm-hmm. if you had to pick one thing that has really stood out to you as why they haven't been able to reach these heights that were laid out before them in the preseason, what would you say that thing is?
1: I don't remember if I said it with you or if I said it with someone else but... It's actually, I have no idea anymore. At the beginning, I said it was team identity. Because, like, you you had a very, like, I'm not going to say, I'm not saying that they're egotistical, uh-huh. but you have a lot of stars on one team, and that doesn't always play out. Uh-huh. Like, uh, uh, oh, this thing goes into a completely different rant at the same time. It's like, like you know how people always, nowadays, people are saying that um, TSM's the best t- team on paper. This uh-huh. team's the best on paper, like it's a da- like a damn me and a buzzword now. I don't mm-hmm. even know what on paper means anymore. <laughs> no, I, I honestly don't. People use it to bludgeon a point to death just because they like one team the most without the actual game. Like, I could say, oh, you know, like one team looks the best on paper, and then you have actually no idea what I'm talking about. Right. Because what does on paper mean? That they had the most achievements? That they've had, that at one point they were the best in their role? Or are you just breaking down each player into stats and numbers and then adding them up together to see who has the highest total value? I don't know what that means anymore. Mm-hmm. So when TSM, people say that TSM w- was expected to do really well. I don't know how. I don't know how. Was it just, just because Yellowstar was on Fnatic when, during the big one? Was it because Delos is the best AD carry at one point? Was it because Bjergsen's the best mid laner at one point? Ponser is not Dyrus. Uh Svenskeren was really good. It SK, I don't know. Like I don't know. Like I don't know what people would have expected from this because like I'm so tired of people just assuming a are gonna do good just because good players are on it. That doesn't mean anything to me. Mm. Like like C9, they lost they lost the entry to LCS to Marn, who had one of the lowest win rate records mm-hmm. in the LCS. Not not the lowest, that goes to a velocity like, so for TSM, I don't know. They're just not consistent. Like, when they go against bad teams like Tip and they just destroy them, that's just because they're better players. Mm-hmm. When they beat CLG, they actually played pretty good as a team. But then, like, other other times they lose because of really stupid mistakes. Like, they're not pushing mid after they win a fight. They're not, like, following Yellowstar during an engage. Like, it's it's a multiple to of problems. It's a lot of problems. And I'm not in the house... No one's in the house to make any sort of judgment on whether or not they're not like, working together well as a team. Because it, the, the, it seems like they get together well enough as a team. As five individuals, they, they get along. Hmm. But when they get on stage, it's not nerves because they're experienced. They just don't play together as well as others do. Yeah. And that is a simple fact. It's not one glaring weakness because they lose in many different ways, they throw leads in different ways, and they don't take advantage of their advantage points as well as they should have, like in different ways. Like I've watched re rewatched DSM games and when they win, it's either against a bad team, they're or they're surprisingly good as a together, or they just destroy them five to five.
0: Yeah. I I will say, to your first point about the on-paper line, my favorite response to that has always been uh, Ben Yahtzee-Croshaw's it makes sense on paper, but paper is a flimsy thing that turns clear when you rub grease on it. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I I, I can say like all these players are great, but how do they work together? And one of the things that kind of hit me as we watched more and more of them is we have three guys here who were primary shot callers on their team. You know, Yellowstar was always the shot caller and fanatic. He was the leader of that team. He was the guy they rebuilt an entire team around, and he had to be the one voice that could lead in that way. Doublelift was so much of a voice on CLG. Bjergsen, obviously, was the main shot caller for TSM for forever. Sven Skarin was one of the biggest shot callers for SK Gaming because he was the one guy who had his head on straight. Mm. So you've now got four guys who, for the vast majority of their career, have been told, you need to be the leader. You need to make the plays. You need to make the calls. And it comes down to the theory of, you know, there are too many cooks in the kitchen. Like if everyone's making calls, then nobody is. Because Mm -hmm. all you're going to get is that disarray. And when you see things like coaches getting fired mid-season, I can't help but feel like it is extending into other areas of the organization. You know, this is not something that stable teams have happened to them. You know, Immortals is not losing any coaches. I'll put it that way. Um, It just strikes me as an idea of a team that just grabbed talent, whatever talent was available, and said, we'll make it work later. And now we're seven weeks into the season, and I still don't know how they're planning on making it work. Mm -hmm. So if you got hired today, Stephen, you're going to be the guy who fixes TSM. What's step one? How do you fix this team and make the talent that is present work to the best place that they can.
1: Okay, so step one would be a very, very long step one. Mm -hmm. Step one would be studying footage of all these players at their best and lowest. Because here's the thing, when you actually put a team together or when you actually try to judge a team together, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you have to know why they're successful on other teams. Mm -hmm. Which means evaluating their strengths and weaknesses and then put them all next to each other. Put all the weaknesses next to each other, put all the strengths next to each other. Do they cover all the bases? Right. I don't know what team to use as a comparison for... Like, okay, a long, long time... Okay, maybe it wasn't a long time ago, but like a long time ago, in League years, you had the interview with Impact after he left SKT, and he was he was asked did, who he preferred playing with, Faker or Easy Hoon. He said Easy Hoon. He said Easy Hoon because... The team dynamic honestly changes so when Easy Hoon plays on the team and then Faker plays on the team. It's not because like Faker is like negative like person or anything like that. It's because he requires more attention mid, which means is more mid, which means is not in top or bottom as much. And when Easy Hoon's on the team, Bengi is more free more free to go to the other lanes. Mm-hmm. Which means Impet can get help if needed. So like just put like just like that for example that's like covering the bases like what is TM TSM missing i would actually like to write something like this after the spring split to see mm-hmm. where they land and do something like this i would love to actually study these five players specifically mm-hmm. what what is TSM missing like I don't want to like be like oh it's generic shot calling. I don't want to be it's just oh it's like I, I know I said the generic answer of just too many stars on one team, but I don't want to say that as my, my final conclusion. Like like right. I want to actually see what TSM is missing. Mm-hmm. Do they not know how to do one comp? Are they just not flexible? Are they? Do they just? Do they? Were their strengths covered by the former teammates that aren't covered now? Like for example, t- doublelift when. The strategy, protect the double of, did work. Not not enough for a first place finish, but when it worked, was it because you know Saint or Chalster were just doing the obvious for them, like in like in the back seat, like people just never noticed.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I noticed for Chalster, but like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that's not. They don't have you don't have Chalster in TSM. You don't have the same like five man dynamic that made one player look so damn good on the on the next team. So if if the next, if I was to be coaching TSM tomorrow, I would be studying those tapes. I would be asking those players about comms. I would be asking what they handled on that team, what other players handled for them. Mm -hmm. Or really, was it really just Yellow Star five men micromanaging the team, and why isn't he doing it now? Like stuff like that. Like whoever makes a team, any team looks at a team needs to look at that. I know, like Kelsey and Emily Moser, I'm. Kelsey Moser and Emily Rand, I'm oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. They're gonna yell they're gonna yell at me for that later. <laughs> I know they look at I know they look at those team ninety for China because they move players around very often. And they do that because other people will look at something like OMG or the current QG and be like, oh they're gonna be good just because like like oozy oozy eyes on it. And like, no, like you can't look at just that. You have to look at what these players are actually good at and what Weaknesses were covered up by former teammates. And if, if on the new team those weaknesses are just exposed, they're still their weaknesses. Like you can't just say that like they're being held back. It's you actually have to look at that.
0: Yeah, and and that's the thing, and, and it's a great contrast with our point about immortals from earlier. You know, Immortals had felt like every player was brought in because all of their talents meshed with each other. Rainover and Huni have synergy. They know how to play off each other. Adrian is very good at keeping over-aggressive players alive. So whenever Huni would dive too far or whenever Wild Turtle would dive too far, that's his skill set. That's what he did on Impulse. And it all mm-hmm. came together and was very meticulously planned. You know, that's something that I think has proven itself. Right. I don't know if there was a plan with TSM. It, it really does feel like what they wanted was to create a human highlight reel, just five guys who people would want to tune in for and see all these big plays all the time. And that's just not what a team is. That's not sustainable in the long run. Uh, for a team, you need to have – guys you know that are the filler role like what xmithie is for clg you need someone who is consistent and doesn't take too many resources but does the job you need them to do you need someone who can be the hard carry you need someone who can be a secondary carry but knows when to back off and they all need to hammer that out together and it just feels like they never got that or at least they Mm -hmm. haven't yet and time will tell i think The playoffs are going to say a lot about how they're able to handle adversity. You know, if they lose game one in a series, it's going Mm -hmm. to be interesting to see if they, you know, can bounce back and, you know, really figure out what their problems are. But I agree with you. Right now, nothing's going to get fixed until they identify the problem. And that's what needs to be done before we're going to see the kind of highlights that this team was looking for when they built this roster. But speaking of highlights, Steven, you're, Mm -hmm. you're a fan of highlights, right?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I
0: mean, who doesn't love highlight videos? They're really awesome. But, you know, it's very hard to make highlight videos unless you're a video editing expert, someone who has, you know, all the fancy Adobe Premiere things and everything else. So if I told you there was a program where you take your timestamps, just plug in the moments that you want to share directly onto the YouTube video you're watching, and you could upload that for a whole bunch of people in the community who want that material as well to go see, that'd be pretty cool, right? Yeah, I'd
1: love to take highlight clips to my friend playing terror Dribble and messing up and show it, everyone.
0: Exactly. This is the kind of thing that we need, and that's what Vibi is here for. It is the fastest way to create highlight reels for esports and just YouTube videos in general. You could do it for your favorite streamers. You can make fun of your friends. However it is you want to do it, and then share them with fans. There can be fan pages for teams. I know that we're working on getting one for Imperial very soon, and it just allows you to you know interact with your fan base in that way. It's a really fun tool to share highlights of all of the moments that people love in a way that anyone can get up and do. So go to Vibi.com today, go ahead and, and sign up and start creating highlight videos today because it's really fun and easy and I love being able to make fun of myself when I watch my own highlight videos of just how terrible I am compared to all of my teammates in the house. And they love watching me and just pointing out how terrible I am. It's really, it's a great back-and-forth exercise. So Vibby.com for all of your highlight needs. Uh, a team that maybe needs to figure out how to start creating more highlights for themselves is NRG. I genuinely don't know what to think about this team at this point. Obviously, all tech stepping down for LOD is something that I don't think a lot of people expected. Moon has kind of also hinted at potentially wanting to find a replacement for that position. So, Stephen, i got to ask you, what's happening at NRG? Why are we seeing these kinds of struggles from a team that had so much infrastructure and investment around them?
1: Because uh, I don't know how much I'm able to divulge in energy, I, I actually have a lot of information on, but I won't say all of it to not betray the confidence of my colleagues. Understandable. So what I believe I can say is that the team dynamic just didn't work as well. I know the infrastructure tried. They put in a lot of work, really, really hard work, and I don't think anyone could have asked for more from what they tried to do. But as a five-man team, it isn't working out, which is why Altec stepped out for LOD. Altec, you can see it in his play he's not really working with the team. It's not like they don't like each other. right? It's like, I believe I can divulge that Altec's motivation for competitive play is not that hard right now. Right. So there are games where you, you can go look through like half their games, and Altec is just sitting under the tower of armor. Not pushing waves that freezing lays, not slow pushing that like, he's just not really with the team. And why would you want an AD carry who's not really with the team? So I can say that Moon is having some confidence problems. I know I didn't watch a lot of his games in Challenger, but I understand a lot of people had high hopes for him because he's shown highs, right? He's, he's shown mm-hmm. skill. He's shown that he's a good player. But he isn't performing on stage as well as he does offstage. So those are two pretty major factors, two pretty alarming factors, rather. And if that happens, the rest of the team can't perform
0: to their best. Right. And, and we've seen that time and time again now. And, and the Alltech point you made is, is a very good one. And it's one that, honestly, when you think about what happened with Winterfox, where he stepped down from the AD carry position for a bit, this is something that we can now officially say is a trend in yes, his career. Yes,
1: I, I that's why I'm okay with saying that. I'm pretty sure I'm allowed to.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, it's, it's, there is precedent here. And one of the things about League of Legends that, you know, if you haven't played at this kind of level, it, it's hard to understand. But so much of this game is, is just mental. If you lose your confidence, you're done. Because you have to be able to feel comfortable making the plays, following the calls, making that next move. And as soon as you don't have that confidence in yourself, in your team, whatever it is, and you're checked out, you're not able to be what your team needs you to be. And that's where we are with NRG right now. Altec wasn't doing what the team needed, even if his stats weren't particularly terrible. And Moon isn't at all what this team needs right now. His synergy is just not developed. And I don't know if it's a language thing with Impact and GBM both being Korean. I I have no idea But whatever it is, it's very hard to snap someone out of it Mm -hmm. when it is such a mental issue, when it has nothing to do with the mechanics and their talent level or what they're capable of and everything to do with what they are allowing themselves to be because they are lacking the confidence, because they're lacking whatever that next step is. So realistically, where does that leave NRG? What is this team going forward? And is this a team that is really going to have to look at replacing a couple pieces when the mid-season rolls around.
1: I think LOD would serve as a serviceable AD carry for the time being and for the future. I've heard good things about um, his role in comms. Um, Moon, Hmm. I don't know. Because right now, who would you get to replace Moon? And allow them to continue using their own
0: that's that's there's the concern. No one.
1: So right now, Moon needs. Well, Moon has been what playing Italy the last few games, right?
0: Yeah, there's been. Uh, if you look at the games recently, uh, he's been playing uh, quite a bit in Italy. He's there. It feels like they're trying to put him on things that he's comfortable with. It's just not really working. He just doesn't feel comfortable on the big stage. It looks like.
1: Well, yeah, that's the major thing. Like, him on Nidalee solves a big problem. I can go into the room, but mm-hmm. the thing about playing Nidalee is that, okay, as many as much as like, a bunch of people on Twitter or social media Reddit whatever will like to harp, oh, Nidalee's not a good pick, Nidalee's not a good pick. No, Nidalee is a fine pick.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But you have to actually play around the Nidalee properly. She's not a poke bot. NA and EU seem to think that about mm. they, they're There's like, oh, Nidalee just pokes... You no, know, like, no, no, you're thinking of Season 2 or se- and Season 3. You're, this is three years... Three, this is four to three years later. Three to four years later. She does more than that. Use it. I know Energy is trying to use it, but there's a lot of problems in, internally. And I can't go into that. Mm-hmm. I, it's not as bad as I say it. As, as I say, I'm just not allowed to say it. I'm not comfortable divulging the information again. So, for now, I think Moon is serviceable. I think, at the very least, they could find some footing in playoffs, maybe. I don't think they'll finish top three as the way they're going right now. But, I'm actually pretty excited to see this team in summer split with the best of those. Because I think that's a valuable chance to actually, like, if they stick with Moon, for example, I think it's a pretty good chance for Moon to grow up, you know?
0: Yeah, and, and you bring up a good point, like, who is the next obvious pick? I, I mean, maybe you hope that Ember falls down on the job and contracts is available? That's literally the only guy I could <laughs> think about.
1: And then you get Santorin over?
0: Yeah, then Santorin comes in. I mean, it's uh, it just seems very, very much like a team that will just have to find a way. There aren't a lot of outs for them, other than learning how to work with this talent, and get them in a place where they can feel more confident. And the good news is that the talent around them is there. Impact is a great player. He's a world, ch- former world champion. He still does enough of his own laning things that if he gets that synergy back with his jungler, I think he could get back to where he was with Impulse. Uh, yeah. GBM is obviously a jack-of-all-trades, and unlike who he he can play all of these things rather well. He's been an innovator. You know, he was oh the first to bring up. He, he can land his skill shots. Yes, that does tend to help as a general rule. And so there is potential here, but they have to be able to hold up their weakest links because at the end of the day, you're only as strong as the weakest player on your team. And the weakest players right now are really holding them back. And a loss to a team like Impulse is not acceptable at this stage. Yeah that's not something that you can afford to drop, Uh, especially because it allowed Liquid to catch up. And Liquid was a team that, you know, when you were looking at them after week six, where they went 0-2 against Echo Fox and and Immortals lost, which, you know, losing to Immortals is not particularly shameful in and of itself, but it was the way they lost. You know, it looked like this team was at risk of having this, you know, up and coming Echo Fox team with Frog and kind of leapfrog them. And, they saw those particular concerns and said, fuck that, and took out Impulse and TSM this week. When you're watching this team, what explains the up-and-down nature of Liquid? Why are we seeing such high highs and low lows from them on a week-to-week basis?
1: Uh, high highs and low lows. It's basically a lot to watching Liquid from last season, honestly. I don't know. It's, it's like, I think Dardoch, definitely good. Mm-hmm. Piglet, I think, is actually performing very, very well this season. Like, when you actually watch his, like, first four-week games or something, he's playing outstanding. Win or lose. Like, Piglet's mm-hmm. playing well, so whatever. law is, like, there. Yeah. I don't think is that good, but I think he, they put him in champions where it's really hard to mess up, so it's like, right? Huh? what can you ask for? <laughs> um, he's not bad, he's not good. Like, He's theirs. Matt's been playing pretty decently. Uh, Piglet feels pretty comfortable with them. So, like, the thing about Liquid is that, like, they're just not consistent. That's literally what it is. Like, they'll just drop the game for no reason. I don't even know what to say. Like, I mean, I'll fully admit Liquid isn't one of the teams I've been paying attention to that often other than watching Piglet. Because I think Piglet, like I said, I think Piglet's been playing outstanding this season. But... <laughs> They lose in ways that makes us feel like they just aren't prepared to win in that situation. Like, right. Like, oh, hey, we're winning, let's do this instead and throw this way. But there are simpler ways to win with the leads they've been, go- they've been given. Mm-hmm. And it, they're just not consistent.
0: It does seem like they take the path of most resistance at all times. And maybe that has to do with the youth of a lot of the people you would traditionally put in shot-calling roles. Obviously, I'm not listening to comms, but usually it would be your support or your jungler. Both of those are rookies. Lorlo is a guy who plays like a rookie at times. You know, They put him on things like the poppy where he's going to have utility no matter what, but well. veteran players have been able to exploit him. You, know, you look at what happens when CLG or Immortals or any of these teams with really strong top laners go up against him, it it doesn't end well for him. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is something that, you know, maybe gets fixed with experience. Maybe they learn how to make those calls and adjust properly, but it's certainly not there yet. And that's why, you know, the weeks where the wins come easy are, are weeks where they're not challenged in that way. They're not forced to make the tough call and somehow almost by random chance it just seems like they always make the wrong one when they when they have to make that kind of tough decision but when things play out for them there is enough talent there to take it home at the end of the day so i guess my question here is of these three rookies you know one of them you'd have to imagine is going to have to step up if liquid is going to be a threat not only in the playoffs this split, but even in the summer split going forward, they need that second guy outside of Piglet. Who is that guy on this team? Who would you point to as someone who can take that step forward? Can or should? Yes. Either one. Your pick. Phoenix needs to
1: step up. I know people like to circle jerk the whole 1v4 CLG into no the tower as a 0, but Phoenix is, like, okay, but not that great. I might get hate for this, but like I really don't think Phoenix is good. like he mm-hmm. beat one v four people under a tower as a Zier. because right. it's Zir and Azir is fucking stupid Okay, <laughs> like <laughs> like at the at the at the time of the game, yeah, Azir is just a really really dumb champion, but seriously, like Phoenix needs to play more impact champions than actually do all of them like i don't I don't think he's that great. I think he has some really high highs, and then like mostly just kind of their moments. He's not losing their games, but he needs to step up.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing. You look at what Phoenix is, and you know, if you just looked at the stats, well, he's, he's got this tied for the second highest KDA. Why would that be such a bad thing? And it, it's because it's, it's everything else that he's missing. It's, it's the fact that he's not doing it by getting kills, and not even really by getting assists, though he does have quite a bit of those. He, just, he doesn't die. Which, Mm -hmm. you know, is something, and I understand that that's, you need to have some part of that is just not being the guy that gets caught out, but for what he does, he needs to be more effective. Right now, he has 31% of Liquid's damage. I mean, (laughs) that's wording in its own right for a number of reasons, but if mm-hmm. you're supposed to be the damage dealer, if you're supposed to be this guy, we're going to funnel all these resources into you. We're going to let you be this big damage threat. You better know how to capitalize on the opportunities.
1: Mm-hmm. And he right, seems to do more.
0: Yeah. He has to be more efficient with what he's given because right now he has fewer kills than Shifter, Bjergsen, Pobelter, Hoogie, and Jensen. When you have less kills than Shifter… Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, the only person who's played 14 games that's below him is Alex Itch. Everyone else below him has played 13 games or fewer. So this is, this is where we are with him. And at this point, we can say that we've seen enough of his career. That's not likely to change. At mm-hmm. some point, you have to live with the guy that he is. And that's a problem because I don't see Lorlo or Dardok being that guy. And so if he's not that guy... They're going to have to take a serious look at who can be and and what replacements they might need to make if they're going to take that next step. Because right. right now, you know, the meme says Curve slash Liquid always fourth, but right now, I think fourth would be a major success story, and that's a concern for an organization that has so much clout and so much history behind them.
1: But- Especially when they finish first in the regular season, that's true.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, like I said, you know, Piglet's really good. Never lose sight of that, obviously. He'll, he'll always get you close enough, but they need something more. And I don't know where it's coming from. But one last thing before we let you go, Stephen, because you've covered the Japanese league as well. I have. Is something that, you know, I, I'm very glad to see get more coverage. I find a lot of these international scenes fascinating. Obviously, I'm working for a Turkish organization, so I'm a little biased, but mm-hmm. I, I just find the way that every region kind of develops its own meta and has its own little quirks to be fascinating. So give me the sales pitch. I am a, a League of Legends fan. I just I want to watch good games. I want to watch fun games. Why should I be tuning in to Japan every week?
1: Japan is okay. The thing about Japan is that it's actually pretty similar to watching Korea and the major regions without the skill. And that's not to say that they're bad players. Like Japan is, a, is actually not cringeworthy to watch as often.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, okay, so they have six teams in their league because, you know, there's not as many players. right? And the league is a bit smaller. You wouldn't watch Black Eye, for example, because Black Eye is literally the proof that there aren't enough players in Japan. The, the team is the challenger team that just got in. Mm-hmm. They have yet to win a single game. Like, seriously, I haven't won a single game
0: <laughs> Yeah, 0-12 and 12 is not a great start to the season.
1: And, and then you look at their solo queue, and it's like Japanese Challenger, and then this team. And then they, this team went from Japanese Challenger into the full league, but they're mostly plat fives in Korea. And that's, I'm not, like, shaming them for that. But if you had a bigger scene, then this wouldn't have happened. Right. You know? And that's not their fault. Like, yeah, they could be better players, but there aren't other players to compete with, supposedly. You would watch Detonation Focus Me, which is the strongest team in Japan and has been for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And you would watch uh, Rampage and Unsold Soft Gaming. Now, Unsold Soft Gaming is my more favorite team to watch, I guess, outside of the stomps that Detonation Focus Me has. But the, the, the reason why I would say it's similar to watching other major regions is because... It's like watching a major region but with the charm of a wild card region. And I right. say this because a lot of the Korean, um, there are Korean players in infrastructure going to Japan actually. Right. Benu's former jungler, Ketch, who was actually really bad last year, he's on Detonation focused Me right now. He's their jungler. And sure, you know, he looks really good right now, but the competition maybe is, you know, definitely not as good. Right. Um, what I'm trying to get at is their meta is pretty similar to the rest.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How they approach the game is starting to be similar to the rest because of Korean infrastructure coming over and Korean players coming over to share that knowledge and the fact that all the Japanese players play on Korea. Mm-hmm. The, the pro teams all have Korean accounts now. They didn't last year, but now they do. Right. So they're not like behind on picking up strong picks. They're not behind on quirks or anything like that. They're, they definitely watch Korea. They watch LPL, of which I know a lot of Japanese players love go-going.
0: Who doesn't? Obviously. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to argue with that.
1: <laughs> and I know they watch Korea. Uh, I know they've watched uh, NA pretty often. I, know, I remember seeing a lot of tweets about Santorum. But regardless, they watch the major regions. They learn from them, which is good. It's mm-hmm. what you want. But the charm of a wild card region is that they're much less afraid to go out of the meta picks. Right, and I can say this because you know how a lot, of, a lot of teams are picking up Zillion now. Yes, while Japan wasn't the first this season, they play. It, I think they actually play it the most out of the regions. A lot of mid in in Japan are playing him right now, and then they immediately respect it. It's like if they respect enough to actually ban Zillion more that often, mm-hmm. even if not the first game of the set, because Japan plays best of threes, they let Zillion go through the first game and they lose to it. They're like, okay, yeah, like we. We thought we could maybe beat them in the professional game, like scrims or just scrims. But no, we can't. So they banned them for the for the remainder of the series. And like, we actually see Zillian play pretty often in other major regions. They don't respect it as much, or maybe they. they I'd like to actually say they're just not as familiar resilient as they are in Japan. Like, mm-hmm. <clears throat> following the logic of mid laners in Europe, why are European mid laners so good? Is because you've had. A lot of good European mid- midlaners play each other all the time. Mm-hmm. Froggen, Alexic, Gregson, etc. Mm-hmm. And then, because you keep playing against good people, you learn stuff, and uh, you definitely see more zillion in Japan because they play a lot of Zillian against each other. And they learn how to play Zillian properly against each other. So I don't think other regions have understand Zillian as much as they do.
0: It is interesting. I mean, he's been banned eight times in Japan. Uh, and he this has a 100% has. win rate, and that is mm-hmm. kind of awesome. It's a pick that, honestly, I like quite a bit. It's something that I've you know, brought up to the team. I'm not going to say more about it, because I don't like giving away my own scraps, oh, obviously. But, uh, <laughs> but it is something that, I, I think having that ingenuity is something that wild cards can do that other regions can't. Because in other regions, you have to play what is considered optimal all the time, or teams will try to punish that, or it, it can be a very big risk. And in here, you know, you can take risks. And even in Japan, one of the things I love about it most, it's best of threes. Even Japan mm-hmm. realizes that we need to have more sample sizes. So it yeah, seems absolutely. like Nation Focus Me, they've had to prove themselves. And they've had to, you know, they've had series where they've lost games and had to bounce back. You know, this is it's really been fun to, to see that growth. And it mm-hmm. does seem like it's going to be, you know, when the international wildcard comes around for MSI, it does feel like Dead Nation Focus Me is going to be in the best place that they've been for that tournament. Yeah. Uh, you know, we already saw them improve a lot from spring to summer. I have a feeling it's going to be even better now. Now, I, just one last question about it. Sure. The new Japanese server is launching soon. Right? Yeah, it's finally announced it hours. is happening. And yeah, in two hours. We're there. How do you think that's going to affect the scene as a whole? Is this the thing that helps get the player base and helps push the player base towards being able to have a more sustainable ecosystem so we don't have teams like Team Black Eye anymore? Or is this still a long-term project in that regard?
1: I would say in the middle. It's not a short-term solution, it's not a long-term solution because okay, here's the way this plays out in my head. Okay? Mhm. First of all, this is a good thing. This is absolutely 100% a good thing. It's not because, well, the motherfuckers who, 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 who post in my Japan articles on Reddit and be like, when's the, when's the League of Legends enemy coming out? No, no. Get, get out, okay. <laughs> Nothing to do with that. This has everything to do with the fact of Japanese culture, okay? Like, Japanese culture is one reason why Japan never really got into, say, StarCraft or Dota or League, for that matter.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: because PC culture has been very weak in Japan Like, why? It, it's somewhat to Korea in the sense that Korea you don't really have, in the beginning at least you didn't have a lot of home computers it wasn't like a thing thing families usually did because you would study at home right? right? and then spend time with family at home family things but for Korea they had PC banks so that's why they would go to PC banks because they didn't have a computer at home And that's why console culture in Japan is so big, because that is something you would actually get. You don't go to console bangs or whatever they would be called in Japan. Right. They wouldn't be called bangs either. It's a Korean word. (laughs) 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 But, like, I'm just saying, you know, like they. Mm -hmm. but you know what Japan does? They go to arcades. Arcade culture is massive in Japan, and that's why Japan has so many strong players in the fighting game scene. Everyone I know who doesn't actually watch the competitive scene, they know Daigo. Guy very, very famous. For ten years, he's been so consistently at the top, making finals of Street Fighter all the damn time. Mm-hmm. And short of me- even mentioning his beautiful parry against Justin Wong, you know he. They, there are a lot of players that, uh, like as good as them. It's not like Japan is just bad because there aren't good players. They're just playing console games. They're pl- they're in arcade culture, but. You know, time goes along. Yes, Japan's really big into handheld games right now. That's the biggest market in Japan. They are having more and more computers accessible to them. For example, there was an interview with one of the voice actresses for Lulu.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Uh She talked about how at college she heard they have a League of Legends club. Nice. Like that's how. Like she's a, she's a really famous voice actress, by the way. And at her college. They have a League of Legends club. They literally have a League of Legends club, despite the fact that they don't necessarily play, or they play in NA. The reason why the Japan server is necessary is because... And you know, this isn't even exclusive to Japan. This is for us, too. We will not really play other games if they're not in our own language, because it's less accessible. You'll only see the really hardcore fans be like, I don't care, I'm going to import the Japanese version of this game... Or something like that, and then I'll keep be really good at it by the time it comes out in my language. And when it comes out in Japan in in an hour and a half, literally, people are going to play. I people love League of Legends, the 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 universe. Like I know, I've talked to players. I've talked to managers. Like Team very very popular, obviously, <laughs> but they don't play because it's not in Japanese, right? And that's huge. Getting their own server means more and more people who are good at games, who are already invested in arcade culture, in fighting games, in the uh, the huge MMO base of 14, where a lot of Japanese players are like at the top of the charts. They're gonna like at least attempt League of Legends, right? Which means more talented players will actually play the game, and it's not just going to be the hardcore people who are currently pros playing in Korea who have been playing on an A for like the last two years with 200, 300 ping. So that's obviously going to increase the player base a lot. I don't know by how much. I only have estimates. Right. <laughs> right. I only have testimonies of how passionate people are about it. Like the first and last week of the LGL are in front of a live audience. And when you watch them, there's a huge crowd. Sure, Japan's not the massive country. So I'm sure a lot of them traveled. But like I'm sure not that many people actually traveled. Yeah, and you that had a huge crowd. They're probably going to play. A lot of them may be casuals. Who cares? They're going to have more and more people playing, competing each other. The bad thing about this is, I'm sorry, this is a rambling answer, but there's a lot to it. No, because, for sure.
0: This is, yeah. and it's a very interesting thing that we need to think more about because right. these wild card regions are growing more and more. You know, Turkey is, making and you have to
1: take into and... account their culture. Yeah, you know? of, co- of just, course. Right. So anyway, back to my answer. The bad thing that this could possibly do, or the sh- the thing that might be a concern rather, mm-hmm. is whether or not the good players will transfer from Korea to Japan, mm. because you're getting incredible practice against the Korean high solo kill in Korea, right? Right. And you know, it's not like in the years past, last two years, people would be like, "Oh, Japanese players not that great." Like they're only in like what plat five in Korea. They didn't play in Korea at the time, right? They played on NA. They only had Korean accounts so they could play range fives against other Koreans, right? To practice. Right. Mm-hmm. But you know they were. I, I've seen Japanese players on Scar Stream, for example. Yeah. So they exist in High Load NA from 200 ping. They're right. good players. They just need time to grow, and how maybe they'll make an account on Japan as well. I'm sure they will. I'm sure. I'm absolutely positive they will make another account on Japan and help foster. A proper high elo, low elo etiquette and so here, but that's going to take time yeah. because they're still going to be practicing in Korea. Yeah, no. So maybe not this coming split, or maybe even this coming split, or ne- I'm I'm next year. I'm looking forward to next year when this when the server pays its dues to its people.
0: Right, and that's the thing that is going to make Japan so fun to watch as league moves forward. You know, this is. This has the potential to blow up in a big way in a way that other regions a lot of the international regions we talk about you know they have servers they have places that we can pinpoint and they've had their own systems and sure they've played on other servers and whatever else but they were able to develop their own ecosystem they were able to kind of advance themselves in that way in countries like Brazil and in Turkey that's paid huge dividends we have seen the growth of these regions at world's time and time again Is that- Two years ago, you would have seen a wildcard team win at Worlds. It would have been, you would have been laughed out of a room. And now they're, they can be genuine threats. And Japan, just because they are going to get this server and because they already are having this Korean-style infrastructure and they have these Korean accounts that are now you know, at least easier for them to get better practice on than what they were probably doing with North America, it can get really exciting. And it's that, one of those things where, you, like you said, this time next year, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. Uh, and hopefully those of you at home found this podcast fascinating. Stephen, as always, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh a pleasure you, to be here. Oh, Thank you. Is there anything you'd like to plug on your way out?
1: Um, sure. So I write for Esports Heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, last two months have been busy for me for reasons not. I'm not gonna say not, not not bad, just not good, not whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm going to be writing some stuff this week for I am and the mid seasons of uh, the different regions. Um, but yeah, esports heaven, give them a shout out, um, give them a look. We've got some good writers. Um, Into the Rift, my own show. I mm-hmm. haven't done it for a while because my regular guests are in China. Also, sure. losers in China. <laughs> but we actually might be able to work around it soon. Yeah. So hopefully, we'll be able to get that off the get back off the ground.
0: Absolutely, and it, and it is a great talk show. It's one that I've had the pleasure of being on a few times. I hope to be on again in the future. Uh, it, it it's a, it's a fun time when you guys uh when when that does air. And where can people follow you on social media so that when all of this stuff goes down, they make sure not to miss a single moment.
1: Well, you can find my Twitter, esports Twitter account at Steven with a V, and then nukes. And so it's
0: S-T-E-V-E-N-N-O-O-G-S.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you should definitely follow me on Twitter, at RedshirtKing, for all sorts of news about the podcast, which you could find at soundcloud.com slash esports rough drafts, and on iTunes if you search rough drafts on there. Uh, articles are on the way now that I am in the gaming house. The site should be up any day now, and when it is, I have so much fun content for you guys that I have been working on behind the scenes. It is going to be a ton of fun to finally get that out there for you. Uh, In the meantime, uh, thank you guys so much for listening, and come back on Wednesday when Walter and I will be back doing our gambling lines and predictions for Week 8 of the European LCS. And until next time, goodbye, Internet.